0: Opus 90 or the second movement of Beethoven's 27th Piano Sonata. If you prefer the longer name. This is my husband Pete playing it on the piano. When I first heard him play it, I was instantly transfixed. It was just so beautiful and effective. It was one of those pieces of music that came at just the right moment. It seemed to sum up that time in my life so perfectly. It was almost like a mirror for my life and my feelings. And then. A stubborn fire in Ravenswood destroys two buildings and requires firefighters to return to the scene multiple times. More than 100 firefighters assisted in fighting
1: this two-alarm, attacking this blaze using ladder trucks in the air and five hoses on the blaze. The flames wreaked havoc on six units and spread to
0: the recently renovated home next door. More than half a dozen families are without a home. At least eight people are without a home now. The fire happened a few years ago back in Chicago just a few weeks after Pete started to practice Opus 90. I was in my final semester of graduate school for mental health counseling and had just completed my internship. Suddenly, all those things I learned about crisis and trauma applied to me, my husband, and my neighbors. Both buildings were destroyed. We all lost our homes and we all watched it happen. It was scary and devastating. A couple of weeks later, in a random Airbnb, somewhere on the north side of Chicago... Hey, remember this? Oh my god. Oh my god, turn it off. I can't. I just can't hear it. I can't hear it. I couldn't hear it. My stomach felt sick, my legs got weak, I turned cold, and I shivered. I instantly started to cry. It came out of nowhere. ¶¶ Almost three years later, sometimes I still cry or get cold and shaky when I hear Opus 90. And I'm curious how a Beethoven piano sonata could still have such an effect. To help me explore this, I called my friend and former classmate Haley, a marriage and family therapist, trained deaf doula, and fellow musician who regularly integrates music into her work. And I told her all about it. He said, oh, honey, listen. And he just started to play an audio recording of it. And I just, Mm -hmm.
1: like, exploded.
0: And she reminded me about what happens in the body during a traumatic experience.
1: There are three survival responses. Fight, flight, and freeze. Your survival and primitive parts of the brain override the conscious part whenever you use your survival. When your amygdala is triggered, Blood and oxygen is sent to your muscles, and your adrenaline just takes over. On the night of the fire, right after Pete
0: woke me up, it just felt like I could think very sharply. Everything I needed to do was very clear. I was wide awake, alert, and attuned to everything. This would have been when my survival mode, or fight, flight, or freeze, kicked in. About four hours after we ran out, shock set in. I suddenly felt cold, and I was shivering and sick to my stomach. In the weeks after, as the cortisol and adrenaline were working their way through and we were trying to recover, I couldn't eat much. I couldn't sleep. Pete's legs would shake involuntarily. We couldn't hold focus for very long, and our emotional state was very volatile. Anytime something caused stress, we'd skyrocket up to the fear we felt that night.
1: Your brain has what I like to think of as a paper jam or a system error. And all those memories of those terrible things are stuck in your limbic system. And that's where we get the word trigger because when something triggers those memories, whether it be color, smell, sound, music, a sensation, they're triggering the amygdala and you're overcome with those sensations whether it be fight flight or freeze survival
0: so perhaps hearing opus 90 for the first time after the fire was a trigger a trigger that brought back all the fear all the shock i felt that night Then Haley made another suggestion about why I might still have an emotional reaction when I hear Opus ninety.
1: You specifically remember that point of right up to before the See, trauma, what your life was like before the trauma, the memories that you made. Is that
2: is that how does it work? I don't think it's going to work if you keep laughing. <laughs> so. Okay, ready? Yeah.
1: You know, that fire took away your sense of security, your sense of safety. It took away your home that you had together as a married couple for the first time. And all of those things could be wrapped up into that song. That one song. You're mourning the loss of that home that you guys had made together. For it to have been so violently ripped away from you and unexpectedly, of course, that would be something that is emotional for you to hear and for you to have that kind of response. And yes, if that could happen to anybody.
0: And she's right. How many times have I or you smiled or laughed or cried or even mourned when we've heard a song that reminds us of someone, or some event, or some place? For me, it happens a lot, and I'm so grateful it does, because that music, that song, helps me remember with much more brightness and clarity. Next, I decided to investigate the music itself and I recruited my husband Pete for a little help. My
2: name's Pete Redman. I'm a musician. Uh, specifically, I'm a composer, an arranger, and songwriter, and sometimes teacher.
0: And we discussed some of Beethoven's compositional techniques.
2: The whole of this movement is in the form of a rondo. A rondo is a structure where a theme or a set of themes plays out, and then the music goes off on an adventure, and then it keeps returning to that original set of themes. And I'll do another… So the
0: original theme, theme is often it. referred to as a refrain. The musical adventures, or development, are called episodes.
2: So the refrain is a home, it's a base, it's somewhere to come back to. And in this case, this tune, I think, feels particularly safe. And comforting. Compared to some of the places that it goes. So to come back to this, this place of comfort and security, it's something you've heard before, it's familiar, and each time it comes back, it sort of somehow feels richer. Even though it's the same material, it's almost identical each time this comes back.
0: So, Pete goes into more depth about the piece. He throws in some music theory.
2: He often voices his chords, that means the order of the notes in the chords, with the third at the top. So, here's the, here's the home chord. That's an E major chord.
0: He also explores the, the idea Beethoven. that Beethoven wrote this piece as a gift
2: for a friend. The story goes that he wrote it inspired by his friend's love affair with. His mistress and later wife, who is a singer and an actress, and it's a dialogue between the two lovers. And even analyzed that. I think Beethoven wrote them a song before he went off on the rest of the piece. The song starts as a solo. But almost immediately after it started, it's joined by another voice. It's joined by a harmony. Right? And then you can hear them both singing together, and I think that gives you an extra little bit of context.
0: But throughout our interview, Pete kept returning to this idea.
2: Beethoven takes you home. He starts somewhere, he'll take you on an adventure that can sometimes be extraordinarily dynamic and tumultuous and scary and all sorts of other things. But he has a knack, even in the most tempestuous music, to come home, he finds a place where it just feels so rooted.
0: Because it is so reminiscent of home and going home and security, you think that when I heard it at such a vulnerable time, that's why I cried.
2: Yeah, I think it may be a combination of all of that. That would be my speculation. Because I was playing other things, it wasn't the only thing I was playing around the time of the fire, so for some reason that one stuck.
0: Finally, to try to make sense of everything, I sat down with my friend Lauren, who also happens to be a musician. But I do think that piece, maybe it was the soundtrack for that apartment or something, that we were mourning it as well say it seems like there was a lot of grief. Like- so much grief. So much grief. Mm-hmm. Grief for losing some stuff that was grandma's. But also grief that the first home we made together just doesn't exist. And like almost like someone telling us it didn't deserve to exist. And that's some fucking bullshit because everyone deserves to have a happy, secure, loving home. One thing we studied a lot in my counseling program was the importance of meaning-making. Not necessarily finding absolutes or reasons, but just finding a container or context for certain events and relationships. So perhaps my quest to better understand Opus 90 is not to find some secret in music and neurology and trauma. Maybe it's my own way of searching for meaning. Maybe it's my attempt to heal. With a little help from Beethoven. Maybe the song will always be Be a symbol of hope. Yeah. Because I think that's what it always has been. Oh my God, Lauren, you're a genius. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? You're right. Maybe the Opus 90 will become our theme tune. A Song of Hope, I like that. Special thanks to Haley Broadway and Lauren Smith for their great insight. Thank you to Pete Redman for his help investigating Beethoven in Opus 90 and for performing it so beautifully for this piece. And always, a special, special thanks to Beethoven for helping me understand and remember things a little more brightly. Opus 90 was produced by me, Kim Baikama.